Thanks for joining us and supporting Vikido Fitness. We ask for your continued support by becoming an It's All About Health and Fitness premium member. Go to www.vikidofitness.com forward slash join. Again, that's www.vikidofitness.com forward slash join and register for a $6 monthly subscription. And remember, keep listening, sharing, and checking us out. The views and opinions expressed are for general informational purposes only. Consult with your physician or medical health care provider for medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Today, we talk about moving on with your life after training and playing professional sports. Is there life after the NFL? Joining us is Sean Conley, a former NFL kicker and author of his new book, The Point After, How One Resilient Kicker Learned There Was More to Life Than the NFL. Sean will tell us his amazing story and how he discovered a path to profound healing through practicing yoga. All this and more on It's All About Health and Fitness. Welcome to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki Hayward Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks Bright. This program is brought to you by Vicki Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum. Now, here's your host, Vicki Doe and D. Banks Bright. I'm Dr. Vicki Haywood Doe, and with me is the one and only Dr. Virginia D. Banks Bright. Hi, Vicki Doe, don't you know? How are you today? Oh, I'm doing all right, doing all right. It's been a rough week, but you know, we just have to keep it moving. Got to keep it moving. Yes, indeed. We just have to keep it moving. There's nothing for else for us to do but just keep it moving. Yeah. And today, you know, it makes it a, a little bit tough today because, you know, it's dreary and stuff outside. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And cold. And cold. Yeah. But it is the end of the year. So what do you expect? <laughs> <laughs> I think we've been spoiled. Okay. Yeah. That's what it's been, right? <laughs> We've been spoiled. I think, you know, we, we had some snow last week, but then it melted, right? The next day, I mean, it, it was weird. <laughs> it was kind of funny because the weather the weather forecast was like there was Armageddon coming, the end of the world. You know, I was getting all hunkered down, was <laughs> going to get some food, get my salt, like get out the house, you know, and it was like, was that it? I know. But then right up the street, something. That all? I know, but then right up the street, some people got 8 to 10 inches. <laughs> That's true, too. That's also true. Yeah, so it was, yeah. Mm. Well, I'm just glad we just got our little sprinkle. <laughs> me, too, and thank you for, for hooking me up with our guy that does our yard. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> the first thing I thought about was, oh, my God, am I going to, is somebody going to be able to do my yard you know do my driveway uh-huh so yeah you know that's critical that's critical you gotta listen if we didn't have to get out of the house but you gotta get out of the house in the morning yeah especially you guys you and nate y'all doctors yes. and stuff. y'all doctors yes. and stuff. nobody wants to hear our problems about getting out the drive <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, Dr. Dr. Joe and Dr. Banks, why are you guys late? Well, we had some trouble getting out the driveway of the snow. Uh, nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to hear that. That's it. <laughs> nobody wants to hear that. No. Uh-uh. No. Well, you, why did you see that consult? That's all they care about. They want you to see the consult. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's mm-hmm. it. Well, today we talk about moving on with your life after training and playing professional sports. Now, what are some of the things these folks are doing after retiring from the game? We hear about people such as Magic Johnson and Isaiah Thomas, who became big time um, businessmen and entrepreneurs. What are others doing and what are some of their stories? And so when we looked up, I looked up the LinkedIn they were saying that when they looked at, they did an um, analysis, they analyzed their database, and they wanted to find out how many professionals, former NFLers, were on their platform. And so the um, network found that it was 3,272 former NFL players with profiles up from roughly 2000, the year 2013. And so the top profession for former NFL players was the small business owner with 20% of those on LinkedIn, they labeled themselves as entrepreneurs. Then sales, 18%. Then the coaching fitness professionals, 9%. And then financial services, 8%. And these were also, you know, popular landing spots after NFL people, players, after they retired. According to LinkedIn, uh, recently retired players are more likely to stay in sports or coaching while players out of the league for more than 10 years are likely to work with nonprofits and smaller organizations. And for those 20 years out of the game, entrepreneurship is the key and that's the ticket with 31% having their own business compared to 11% for those retired less than five years. These were, yeah, these were interesting stats, you know? And so we have joining us, we have joining us Sean today, Sean Conley, a former NFL kicker, author, yoga instructor, and entrepreneur. And he is here to tell his story of rebuilding his life after the NFL. He will talk about his new book, The Point After, how one resilient kicker learned there was more to life than the NFL. And he will share with us how his turbulent NFL career nearly destroyed him and the lessons he learned, but also how yoga helped him to discover a path of profound healing and a new life. And so we can't wait to hear from him. Right, D? Absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. Make sure you go and check out our Vicky Doe Fitness Health and Wellness website, VickyDoeFitness.com. And while you're there, make sure you sign up for our newsletter to receive updates about our new health wellness masterclasses and our online health fitness training programs. Right now, we are showcasing our Vicky Doe Fitness Step-by-Step Weight Loss Bootcamp Masterclass, which is an online 12-week comprehensive weight loss program and you can also sign up for our health and wellness webinar training get back to healthy living now these health and wellness programs 
are there for you to participate in and to get that healthy transformation and weight loss that you have always wanted. And we want to encourage you guys. You can start now. You can start today to get back in that mindset of healthy living. And we are here. We are here. We are your health fitness experts. And we want to help you achieve your healthy living goals. And so I encourage you to take that step. Go directly to vickidofitness.com forward slash training. And you will learn all about our Vicky Doe Fitness Academy, our online health wellness training programs. So I can't wait to see you there. And as always, Dee, what do we say? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your support. Thank you. Thank you for your support. Yeah, D, like we were saying earlier, it's been stressful for me this week as well. Oh man, I just, you know, I just want to go back and try to rewind and erase this week. I know, it's it's stressful. And for me, you know, we're at the end of our semester. After Thanksgiving, we went totally remote. And so that's been something, you know, trying to get the grading out and just a just a whole bunch of stuff. And dealing with, you know, Vicky Doe Fitness, like I was saying, you know, trying to, you know, deal with being online and, and trying to think of projects that are completely online. So it's, it's, it's a lot of stuff that, that um, we're trying to deal with. And, of course, we're in the pandemic. Oh, yeah, exactly. We're in the pandemic. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. So I think we need to. I was talking. It's not to, getting any easier. It's not getting easier. You're right. And I was talking to my, my homegirl in Texas, and she was like, you know, she she got to up her meditation regimen where she just d- sitting there deep breathing all day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not funny that we have to do that, but it's, that's reality. That's reality. I know. That is the reality. It's, so, it's getting stressful. I mean, come on now. Yeah. Yes. It is. So it's time to restore our, our mindset and just do deep breathing and meditation. I'm all, I'm all for that, right? <laughs> I agree. I think we, we all have to do that. Because, you know, I was just saying today, as I said on Facebook, now with the, I'll talk about that a little bit later, with vaccines and all that, we're being hit from the left and the right, surging cases, vaccines coming out, political stuff. I mean, every time we turn on the TV, it's like you just want to go back in a hole. I know. Know. You know, to the left, to the right, to the east, to the west, to the south, to the north, there's just something going on. You look around, and it's hard to find some element of calmness. Yeah, I know. You know, it's very difficult as you turn around in your orbit mm-hmm. to find some area where there's some calmness. And I think that's what we're going to have, like you said, try to work on trying to find that little corner of the room or corner in our orbit where we can relax. And take a deep breath. That's it. That's it. Even if we just do that for 10 minutes or 15 minutes, you know? Right, 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 right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, how was your week then? You said you were stressed out. Yes, yes. Yeah, you know, we're, uh, the surge is here. And worse, it is worse than it was in April and May. Mm. Far worse. I would probably have to say fewer deaths, although people are still dying. People have to understand this. No, you know, the virus hasn't necessarily mutated. I mean, at least there's no proof of it. I think we're getting better at treating the disease and treating it earlier. We now have some drugs that seem to work. 
but people are still getting infected, which lets you know that people are not doing what they're supposed to do. They're not wearing a mask, not social distancing, and they're not washing their hands. And sadly, some people are doing that, but they have to deal with people that are spreading stuff that they got from some super spreader event. I know. So it's just it's jacked up. That's it. I know. It is. It's so funny. You find doctors are getting on the elevator. We're using more swear words than we Everything <laughs> 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 that comes out of our mouth is some you know, something bomb, some letter bomb. <laughs> so frustrated, you know, just so frustrated. And I, a, a friend of mine was a nurse practitioner today was saying, you know, going into that emergency room, the nurses are stressed out. Yesterday, I mean, this past week, Governor DeWine did an interview, and one of our nurses from Mercy Health was interviewed okay. from the emergency room. Her name was Lisa Burek, and she was very good in relaying how the nurses are feeling, and also, you know, referring to our feelings as well as physicians. It was a very, very good interview. Yeah, Mm because people people so into thinking of themselves, they don't think about you guys that are, you know, dealing with that, right? Exactly, exactly. So what is going on this week? Everything, Vicki, everything. Well, you know, this is national. This week, actually, it's National Influenza Vaccination Week. And the CDC, they they have all kinds of national awareness, social media, all kinds of things out there to get us focused on that. And one of their slogans will be, we all hashtag fight flu. And then they have another one that says, hashtag sleeve up to hashtag fight flu. So, yes, this is National Influence of um, Vaccination Week, and it's National Awareness Week, and it's focused on highlighting the importance of influenza vaccination. And so the CDC, they are observing the National Influenza Vaccination Week initiative, reminding everyone six months and older that it's not too late to get a flu vaccine and they have different campaigns for social media they have toolkits they have um, educational awareness information on their website for all of us to share and to get the word out and this is very important to spread the word about getting your flu shot most especially now during this pandemic and the CDC wants all of us to join them this year as they encourage everyone and especially those that are most vulnerable to protect themselves and their loved ones from the flu this season. And so it's called the Communication Resource Center, and it has all the information about this initiative. And you go to www.cdc.gov forward slash flu, and it talks about the importance of getting vaccinated. And so they say mask up, lather up, sleeve up. The more people that are vaccinated, the more people are protected. So what are your thoughts on that, Dee? I love it. Well, you know, we have a vaccine now that works, and it's so hard to get people to even take that vaccine. That's what worries me about the COVID vaccine. And people don't understand that influenza has not gone anywhere. It's still here. And who knows what the combination, we still do not know really what the combination of influenza and COVID might be together. I'm thinking a disaster. Mm. People need to go out there and get their influenza vaccine. It's still not too late, as you said. Wow. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, so, we 
I'm, I'm thinking it's going to be the perfect storm for a perfect storm. Wow. So, yeah, let's yeah. get let's get out there, folks, and get our flu shot. Definitely. Yes, yes. Mask up, leather up, sleeve up. Love it. Mask up, leather up, sleeve up. That's it. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, what's the latest, D? You always tell us the latest. So the latest vaccines, vaccines, vaccines. Tomorrow, the FDA, December the 10th, the FDA will be presenting their facts. They'll all, it'll also be the time that outside scientists will also be looking at the information that the FDA was presented by Pfizer. And I'm hoping that by next week, Monday or Tuesday, that we're hoping that there will be both sides will agree that the, the drug is not only efficacious, because we know it's 95% efficacious, but the safety profile is going to be okay. Now, there was a little bit of a blip today UK when two individual frontline workers developed an allergic reaction to the vaccine, but as he's the story out, these two individuals were kind of individuals that carry around. And I thought about, you know, people that normally carry around. These people in UK carry epipens around with them, and so there, there's a new um, mm. rule, or not rule, there's a new suggestion in the UK that individuals who are I'm making this word up, hyperallergic. Okay. Not take the vaccine. Very interesting. Oh, my God. So, uh-oh. And as I have always said, since I was on the FDA for three years, it's a lot different when you're doing clinical trials with 44,000 people. My example was this. 44,000 people, maybe one person turned into a werewolf. Well, now when you give it to a million people, you got 500 werewolves. Well, that's their goal to... <laughs> the, the there goes the study. Now, allegedly, I don't know this for a fact. In the clinical trials, they eliminated people who had were hyper allergic to things. So now mm. these people were not excluded. So now we're finding out if you've got some problem where you have to carry an epipen around, maybe this isn't the vaccine for you. So we're going to have to really pay pay close attention to this situation you, you're not going to be able to push it under the, and there are a lot of people you know a lot of people that have epipen because they're allergic to x y and z so you know these are some some things that have to really kind of be you know looked at and as they start rolling this out into more people it's going to be interesting it is going to be interesting i know okay well thanks d that's the latest so stay tuned next week or when we when we meet again, we'll have hopefully have more data and the vaccine will have rolled out into the United States. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you, Dee. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Vicki Haywood-Doe. I just wanted to break in for a quick second and introduce to you the sponsor and creator of this show. It's the company I own, Haywood-Doe Consulting Co., doing business as Vicky Doe Fitness. We are a health and wellness consulting company that specializes in designing and implementing medically integrated applied exercise physiology-based fitness wellness programs, initiatives, events, health promotion, and health education for special populations such as older folks, children, adolescents, overweight and obese individuals, cardiac rehab, women's health, 
and those who have chronic diseases. We have a team and network of healthcare professionals based out of Northeast Ohio, and we've worked with many companies, schools, churches, and organizations. If your goal is to transform your life by taking a holistic approach to living a life of health and total well-being, get in touch with us at info at To find out more about our on-site and online programs and services, go to vikidofitness.com. And now back to the show. Well, today we talk about finding life after retiring from playing professional sports. LinkedIn, they analyzed their database and they found that their former NFL players were more likely That's 20% of them that labored themselves as entrepreneurs. They were more likely to be small business owners, and 9% were coaches and fitness professionals. There is evidence that retired professional NFL players are moving on with their lives and doing other things. And so we have joining us Sean Conley, a former NFL kicker, author. He's an author now, educator, and entrepreneur. He will be talking about his new book, The Point After, How One Resilient Kicker Learned There Was More to Life Than the NFL. He will tell his story and share with us his five important steps that we can take to become more resilient and overcome obstacles and challenges that we may face in our everyday lives. So let's listen to the interview with Sean Conley. Now, here with us today is Sean Conley, a former NFL kicker and author, entrepreneur, educator, and yoga instructor. Sean played pro football for the Detroit Lions, Indianapolis Colts, and New York Jets until he suffered career-ending injuries from overtraining. According to Sean, yoga saved his life, and through it, he cured his physical injuries, and reinvented himself. As part of his rehabilitation, Sean began practicing yoga and soon embraced mindfulness, meditation, and yoga's philosophy as a new life direction. Now, Sean is the author of plenty books, I see. He's the author of The Amazing Yoga. He has written numerous publications, including The Daily Cup of Yoga, The Change Blog, Do You Yoga, and Elephant Journal. But today, he is with us to talk about his newest book, The Point After, How One Resilient Kicker Learned There Was More to Life Than the NFL. Sean is here today to talk about his book, but also to talk about his personal story as a former NFL pro, how the philosophy of yoga changed his life, and the five things that he believes we can do to become more resilient. We cannot wait to hear about that because he's going to talk more on the lessons he himself learned as he replaced fear with joy and toxic drive and compassion. So how are you today, Sean? I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. We're excited to have you. Yes, we are. And Sean, can you start off by telling us your um, personal story and especially your career in the NFL? 
Yeah, sure, absolutely. Thanks for asking. I, um, my, my story is, 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 I guess, in some ways is, is very typical of a lot of NFL athletes, but in a lot of ways a lot of very different from what we hear and see on TV. I think a lot of times when we watch uh, NFL athletes, we think of, think of the superstars like, like Tom Brady and so forth. Mine was, was one where I, I was a journeyman, where you know, I, I bounced from team to team. And what happened to me is what happens to, to a lot of athletes. You know, I grew up at a, at a very young age. Um, eight years old is, is when my dreams started to be in the NFL. And from, from, from that age, you know, through middle school and high school, I always thought, you know, my life will be perfect when I, when I you know, make the NFL because that's, that's what's going to happen. So I, I poured everything into that. You know, I, I trained relentlessly. You know, I was always focused on that. You know, I'd go to bed thinking about playing the NFL. I'd wake up the next day, the same thing. And then eventually when, when I did accomplish that, that goal, with, when I signed with the Detroit Lions after I played at the University of Pittsburgh, then I started to, you know, go through what, what a lot of players go through, which is, which is being cut and being released and, and, and failure. So eventually, after the third team cut me, which was the New York Jets, I just experienced, I guess you could say, this period of, uh, you know, just looking back on my on, on on my career, not as something that was positive, but something that was negative, that, that that I failed. So it took me a really long time. I felt like my identity was who I am. I thought at that time was was a was a football player. And then when I wasn't able to to end my career on my own terms, it ended because of an injury. I struggle with a, what a lot of uh, athletes struggle with is is this of this big decision of, of, of what's next. So that's pretty much my career in a nutshell was just, you know, just scraping and clawing, trying to, to have a career. But then like a lot of players, you know, it, it didn't pan out the way I wanted to. Wow. How did you, after all of that, how did you get the wherewithal to try to write a book? Yeah. You, you know, it, it took some time. Like when, 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 when my career ended, I, I tried to fill that void of, competition with with jobs that would be similar to that so i got into sales and i got into pharmaceuticals and pharmaceutical sales and and i would i would drive and pushing and pushing but ultimately what led me to to, to write a book was how when i took up yoga and meditation and i started to realize that you know like that my story even though it was about being a football player that i think a lot of people could relate to this whole idea that we believe our life is supposed to have perfect beginning middle and end and when things don't go our way, what do we do? And I spent a lot of time, you know, just kind of just staring at this so-called like like closed door in front of me when my NFL career ended, thinking that my life really didn't have much of a purpose if if my if I wasn't playing football. And so that was one of the, the reasons why I wrote the book was to is just to share my story and, and and all the ups and downs and how um, people from you know different walks of life, whether you know like athletes or, or whatever it may be, professionals or or just you know what we what we do in in our day to day lives that like you know we're more than the, in the, like these labels that we put on ourselves and that life has a lot more to offer us than than how we think it's supposed to go for us. I will say that you are a kicker, and so you know not to say bad things about kickers, but you never really think about kickers, <laughs> you know, but when I was, when I was, reading, when I was reading your book, I was like, yeah, and you were, you were saying how everything depends, you know, on whether you get that kick in or not, and I was like, yeah, we never really thought about that, so I like hearing your perspective, you know, reading about your perspective as a, a kicker, but that had to be a lot of pressure, don't you think? 
Yeah, it, it, it's it's a weird job in an NFL in a, in a in a sport that's so you know aggressive and 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 violent, you could say. And then the one position, the kicker, is is like the opposite of that. You know, the the, the challenge that kickers had, like like myself, was you know certainly you know we could suffer from you know overuse injuries, but the biggest thing that we suffered from, you could say, was was the mental. You know, just you know, oh, what's going to happen if I miss miss this next kick? Or even if you were riding a wave of positivity where, say, you made three or four kicks in a row and you're feeling really good, there was still that, that, that fear that always sat out there, well, what happens if I miss the next one and then the next one? And so, you know, when, when, when kickers step out in the field, it's not that the physical so much because, you know, they've made these kicks over and over again. It's just, you know, listening to that one voice of, of confidence versus versus the other one. Because if if a kicker starts to, like, believe that one voice that keeps saying that, you know, hey, you're going to miss it, you're going to miss it, it's it's really hard to, to get out of that mindset. Oh, I know. I mean, to be honest with you, Sean, I don't know how you guys do it. And I love football. I'm a big football fan. But I, I look, you know, and it looks like you go off on the side. Is it physics? Is it math? You know, I'm trying to figure out how do you guys figure out mathematically from a physics standpoint all that. I just think that, you know, the kicker job has got to be because you're out there, but you don't have anybody to help you. You know, you know, the other guys, they have somebody knocking somebody out of the way or, or you know, trying to, to defense and all that. It's just you. You can't blame anybody else. <laughs> I know. Thing. But right. Just, as an aside, what do you think about the female isn't this the first time that there's been a female kicker for a football team from Vanderbilt? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it's great, and 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 you know, hopefully we 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 see more of this. But I think, um, yeah, I was really excited to see that when I saw that last week. Yeah, you're right. It was Vanderbilt. Yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. It was Vanderbilt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they were given. You know, I always go to the social media to see what they were saying, but it was a lot of. Folks not saying great things about her, which was terrible. You know, if she want to kick, she can kick, you know. Right, exactly. Yeah. I, I saw it, too, on social media. And chances are the person who probably said it was, like, sitting down in their basement. They probably haven't, like, <laughs> you know, done anything remotely close, which, which, which she did. I, I know. I saw some people were just were brutal, which I just thought was unbelievable. But. Yeah, brutal. <laughs> That's the word, brutal. <laughs> yes, yes. But uh, Good for her. But good for her. Yes, yes. So, you know, when we talk about the NFL players, you know, my brother, um, I have one of my brothers, he played for the uh, University of Illinois. And so I know a little bit about the football life. But yeah, for NFL folks, you know, they have injuries, you, you know, you had injuries and all of that. And so I know there's probably pressure to conceal the injuries. Now, it could be, yeah, you, you don't want to lose that contract for money, but, you know, why do you think, what, what other pressures and so forth you think that NFL players have to conceal their injuries? Yeah, I, I think there's a few things. I, you know, I, I think one of them is just the whole, like, like macho thing. You know, I'm just going to keep playing through pain. I'm not going to tell anybody about my injury. You know, the other mm-hmm. thing, you know, for me personally, I know a lot of players went through this. When I was with the Indianapolis Colts, I was, it was during training camp, and I, I hadn't secured a roster spot, and I was struggling. I wasn't able to kick the ball as deep as I normally could on, on kickoffs. And, and, and in the NFL, like, don't kick the ball into the, into the end zone. You're not NFL material. And, you know, my, oh, wow. my hip was bothering me, my back was bothering me, and my kickoffs mm. were landing around, around the five or 
three-yard line, which which is pretty good, but you know, for college, but not for Division One college, but not for the NFL. And so I was faced with this dilemma because I knew if I just rested for a few days and had a few days off the camp, I would get my my leg strength back up. And but the problem was I wasn't on the roster yet, so I went back and forth for many days. Do I tell the coach? Do I not tell the coach? Do I tell the coach? Not tell the coach? And then I just got to the point where I had no choice, where I decided to go tell him. But then when I told him. You know, this was a coach that was more old school thinking, I guess you could say at the time, and he said, well, too bad, just suck it up and get back out there. And there's a lot of players, you know, who still deal with that. that if, if they tell the coach, you know, hey, I have an injury, you know, I need a couple days off or, or whatever it may be, that, that, that now that gives that team a, you know, a, an out, so to speak, where they could easily just cut that player and put someone else. Because the challenge is, is, is it's the difference between so many players that are on the roster and not quite on the roster is so minuscule that if all of a sudden player A has this you know bad hamstring, but player B, who you're thinking about, doesn't, you know, player A is the one who's, who, who's left out. Wow. So, you know, one of the reasons I was so excited about talking to you, Sean, when you're talking about your failures and so forth, it's kind of like one of my pet peeve topics. And you were talking about how you started in this at eight years old. My own personal belief is that, you know, most kids, and this is not just for sports or everything else, they, they're not allowed to fail. You know, we're, we're mm-hmm. a society and a culture of there's, everybody's got to get a trophy on a team. Well, no, somebody didn't do so good, so, <laughs> so well. You know, and there can't be like 15 valedictorians in a class. So, you know, and then what happens after they, their parents or whatever or loved ones or caregivers don't allow them to fail when they get older, you know, especially if they are going to college, for example, they're just devastated. And, you know, I just sort of feel that we as parents or caregivers or aunts, uncles or whatever should allow our children to, to experience failure at a, at a young age. What do you think about that? You know, for me, I, I failed so much. Like I, you know, you know, when I tried out for for um, Division three college football team, and then I, and then I mm. failed again at the next college. And and at the time, it, of course, it felt to me like it was like the, the worst thing that could happen. You know, that like I, I that I failed. That you know, I didn't do well at a at a, at a certain team. But interestingly mm. enough, is, is is the more often I I kept put myself out there throughout my career, and and I would you know quote-unquote fail, you know, like be cut by a team or miss a certain amount of uh-huh. field goals, I, I noticed that I, I started to build resistance or re- resilience yeah. where the failures didn't bother me as much anymore. But, you know, if I, mm-hmm. if I never would have had these, these early on failures, they, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have been able to bounce back as quickly as I did throughout my mm-hmm. career, career later mm-hmm. on. So it actually was something mm-hmm. like failing actually struggled. But it, it's so hard for young people, especially for me. Like my first failure was like was my freshman year in college when when the, when the coach said basically said I wasn't good enough to be on the team and let me go. And at the time, that it took me like three months to get over that. I was I felt completely paralyzed. But then as time went on and I kept having these failures, instead of like taking three months to get over it, you know, eventually it was just like three days, you know, or, or three hours. Mm-hmm. But it was it was mm-hmm. something that over time I got better at because the more I failed, I realized well, no, this is just this is just how it's supposed to be. It's okay. This is this is going to make you stronger. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, I I believe in that. And then you you plan for your failures help you to plan for success. So you think of things to make you better for the next time when you you ask or you have uh-huh. to do something. So yeah, failure is good. I think, and I think fear of yeah. failure. Fear of failure is what messes us up, I think. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. It's the fear. So now you are 
out of the NFL, you are embracing a new life. Tell us, I mean, how did you do that? Uh, give us what, what, where's always a, a woman involved. We always know that, but what happened? <laughs> yeah. uh, all right. Well, that, that, yeah, that's, that is, that is a truth. That was, I, I embraced it very stubbornly. My, 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 my uh, wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, she was, a pioneer in the yoga world. So this was this was the, like the early '90s when yoga was considered like out there, weird. You know, something mm-hmm. men didn't do. And when I started having these injuries with these with these NFL teams, she's like, "Well, we'll do yoga. It's going to help your back. It'll help your hip." And I just completely said, "You know, no way. That 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 doesn't make any sense. There's there's nothing you know, like powerful about yoga. There's there's nothing like like macho about it." So I just I completely was resistant to it. And then not until my career ended a few years after my career ended where my back was in such bad shape. My hips were in such bad shape. My mind was in bad shape because I was still having a hard time getting over, you know, my football career being over. I got to a point where I felt like I had nothing to lose. And Karen, my wife was still like, you know, Hey, try it, try it, try it. So this is after like Mm -hmm. five years of this, I finally tried it. And, you know, when I first tried it, I was, I was still resistant. So I was in a room as myself. I was in the back corner. There was 19, women in the room and they're all moving through no problem i'm in the back corner and and, and I, I my body kind of resembled like a broken down Volkswagen. i had a hard time moving so i i felt even more defeated at that time like my body was all all beat up and i couldn't do much but you know i stuck with it and my back got better and then it also just it just also strengthened my mind because i started doing something for myself that was different than just you know uh like football training and weight training and pushing and pushing mm-hmm. i was doing something that was you know for my mind and for my emotional and spiritual being you know practice so I started to realize that wow, this could this could help my body, but also my mind, and that's that's when I just completely embraced it because I felt like wow, if someone like myself who was completely resistant to this could could do it and get better from it, that's that's what really got me hooked on it, and eventually led me to uh, becoming a yoga teacher as well, just to share what you know what it did for me. I think that's really great because I get into yoga myself. It helps you not just for your physical stance but also just to quiet down you know I always like the last pose when I'm just laying flat on the floor looking up at the ceiling and then I'm asleep that's that's my favorite pose (laughs) but tell us now okay you have um, talked about and you have what is called five steps that people can take because all of us you know we go through some type of challenges we go through challenges in our lives and so you have given five steps that people can take to become more resilient so could you tell us those five steps and then maybe give some examples for each? yeah absolutely sure yeah yeah the first one I call it letting go of your if onlys and and you know for example for, for me my when my NFL career ended, I, I went through this stage a couple of years of just looking back, you know, if only I would have, you know, went to this team, I would still be in the career. Or if only I would have, you know, trained less and not beat up my body, I would still do that. And so I think that would, that's one of the things, like, when we're faced with a challenge, we're feeling stuck is, 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 like, letting go of the past and not beating ourselves up for it and whatever happened to us to, just to move forward. So that, that's the first one. But I think the, the next one is, is something I've always struggled with, and that's that it's okay to step away from something that's not working. And towards the end of my career, like, my body was, like, in bad shape, but I just kept 
kept pushing my body no matter what because I just felt like this is this is how it was supposed to be. And so I think it's okay like when we realize when we're in something that we've tried and we've done our best that you know that, that sometimes it's okay to step away. And I think we sometimes are like we think about we're in this culture that you just go 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 and you never give up. And and it's true to a certain degree, but if there comes a certain point where it's it's affecting you mentally, physically, then it's okay to step away. The the third one would be that you know suffering is is, is optional. I, I I know for me, like you know, for success, you know, I trained relentlessly, and it did help me get to the NFL. But I, I did that you know by by inflicting pain uh, upon my body. And if I would have just maybe backed off a fair amount, and if I would have like honored rest. I think, you know, it seems like rest is something that we like, oh, you shouldn't rest, you just keep going. And so I think, you know, to accomplish our goals, we don't have to beat ourselves up for that. You know, the fourth thing would be, you know, to find time to breathe, whether it's, whether that's yoga, meditation, or, you know, just, just taking a walking, a walk in the woods. All those are, are ways to like meditate and to breathe. And I think a lot of times when we're, when we're in very difficult situations, in, instead of taking time to breathe, we, we, we hold our breath, we fight, resist, and that just makes whatever situation we're in more difficult. And then the fifth and final one would be to surround ourselves with, with champions. I've, you know, w- what I've done many times is when I've been in difficult situations, I've learned the hard way. I've tried to do them myself, but I, I wouldn't speak you know, people who could help and support me because I, I want to do it all myself. So I didn't want to ask for help. And so, you know, I was helped by, you know, a, a coach when I was at the University of Pittsburgh where I was really struggling. And I just thought, oh, I need to fix this problem with my thinking myself. When I finally took the time to go to him, to go to his office and sit down and pull up film and ask him questions, like he helped me. And I've, I've found that that's happened a lot, you know, just, you know, when, when I've struggled with my career and a lot of times I wouldn't, you know, uh, share what was going on in my mind with my wife. I kept like pushing through, but then when I would take the time to like just share with her what I was thinking, she would help me, you know, redirect my energy. So I think you know that would be you know the the one important thing is like it's, it's the last thing is just to uh, you know find your champions and and you know you know talk to them when you whenever you feel the need. I read that story. I did. I read an interview that you did. It was that that coach was Amos Jones uh, from yeah, the University. Yeah, that's him. He was yeah. your coach, University of Pittsburgh. Could you just briefly share that story? Because I thought that was a really good story. Because I've always, I mean, Bear Bryant is legendary. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, isn't that where Willie Joe, didn't he play for, um, didn't Willie Joe famous play for Bear Bryant back in the day? He did. Um, yep, yep, absolutely. That's what I thought. Mm-hmm. And he's yeah. always kind of been a very controversial coach. But can you just share briefly that story mm-hmm. about Amos mm-hmm. Jones? Yeah, I mean, Amos Jones, he, he changed the, in, the entire trajectory of my career. What, what was happening was I would spend a lot of time in the video room, and one day he came into the office, and I was, you know, fast-forwarding and rewinding and, and, and looking at my kick from that practice. And, and, he, and he told me, like, you know, if that's all you're going to do is if you're going to keep looking at, like, your mistakes, because that's what I do when I analyze, like, oh, I put my foot there, what I put there. He's like, if you keep just focusing on your mistake, you're, you're never going to be successful in the long term because you're forgetting what you're doing positive. You're not reinforcing your mind with positivity and visualization. So that's when he shared the story with me because he was, he was a young coach at the time. And the year before, he was, he was working, he was a coach at the University of Alabama. And before that, he played for the University of Alabama. And he played for yeah, the legendary coach, Bear Bryant. And he shared the story with me that after the games, Bear Bryant would bring the whole team into the, into the video room. And they would only spend, he'd show them for like maybe two minutes, he'd show them the mistakes they made. 
then after that, for the rest of the meeting, he would only show them the plays that they were successful in. Mm. And he just would always reinforce to them, like, this is what you need to get in your mind. Like, yes, acknowledge the mistakes you made. Those are great. You made them. But now let them go and continue to get into your mind, you know, your successful plays. And that, that really changed my career. And actually, even like nowadays, I still think of that story a lot because it's just so easy for me, like with work or anything, all of a sudden, like something goes wrong and I can just focus on that one thing that went wrong and not focusing on all the other things that are going right and all the positivity in my life and so forth. And so I think it was a, is a lesson that I, I, could, I could take that was even like much greater than great, greater than football, even though it certainly benefited my kicking career for sure. I love that. Oh, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like the story. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. we, we always talk about that and, and you would know all of us would know um, when we're talking for folks that are trying to be healthy, you know, it's easy to do that negative self-talk and, and mm-hmm. just get into that. But no, in order to have behavior change and to keep it consistent, you got to do that positive self-talk and, and really focus on positive things that you can do. I love that. Mm-hmm. Talk about your business, Amazing Yoga. <laughs> yeah, we want to yeah, come so visit. It, when COVID is over, <laughs> we want to come visit. <laughs> yes, that's the key. Yeah, yeah, it's really unusual right now. We're 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 actually even virtual. We just do online classes now since yeah. March. But mm-hmm. um, our 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 studios. Um, you know, my wife was the brainchild of it all, and she started about twenty years ago. But what we try to do, because you know, I have my story with what brought me the yoga with football, and and Karen's story was, was happening at the same time. So what happened to her was, you know, while I was doing football. And, you know, she, you know, became pregnant very right after college. And so for her, she had a similar story where the way she thought her life was supposed to go, all of a sudden it didn't. And so she, you know, had some, you know, just, you know, battling, you know, her self-esteem and, and, you know, because her friends at the time were all, had all graduated and they all had these jobs, but she was, you know, in this situation. So for her, that's, that's what really got us both in is we realized that like everybody has a story, you know, whether it's physical injuries or what's going on in their life or losing a loved one. And so that's how we, we, we approach our, our yoga studio, knowing that you know, everybody who comes into the studio has something going on in their life. So we, we try to teach with a philosophy of just, you know, everybody, you know, making the, the classes accessible and, and just reminding people that, like you're just here to breathe and you're not here to like compete. You're not here to do all the poses. Cause for a lot of us, that's the first instinct that we'll do, you know, like everything that we do, we turn into a competition and so a lot of times when people first come into yoga, they look at it as something like, you know, taking up golf and now I want to be really good at golf or something like that or taking up, you know, whatever, whatever that is, turning, turning yoga into like another like competition or something to get really good at, so to speak. So that's how we try to, to you know, create our environment at, at Amazing Yoga is just like, hey, this is something that, you know, this is, this is something you can just do on your own and you can do all the poses, you can do half of them. And, and that may sound like, you know, not very pushing that you can't get anything out of it but you know what we're trying to foster is a place where people can really just start to listen to their own bodies because that was something that I didn't do like I would my body would start to have all these aches and pains and I would just ignore that and like well you know keep going and so I really dishonored my body you could say and so that we, we try to teach the, the opposite of that in, in our studios that amazing yoga that's another topic we can talk about how we were because I'm, you know, I'm health and fitness too. how we were forced to do this online thing, whether we wanted to or not. But <laughs> <laughs> <That's the truth. laughs> Yes, yes. And imagine me, I'm trying to be teaching dance, too. Uh, yeah. And that's a whole nother 
topic too, but that's a part of resilience for you as well with your yoga, because I'm sure that's a lot of stories to tell with that too, huh? Yeah, for sure. You know, and, and, and when it first happened, it was, I think like a lot of people, we just, we just felt like crushed, like, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. Our business is over and what are we going to do? And, you know, once we got through, you know, the few days of, of going, I think whatever you small business owner and all of us were doing and and we we move from you know that whole fear to reality we've we've just decided well hey we we, we got to make the best of this because this is how it's going to be for the next three months six months year whatever and so we've just it in, in some ways it there's been a lot of positive out of it because we've been able to connect with people who maybe were afraid to you know come to our studio because they, they, they didn't want to be with a group of people you know mm-hmm. in public so this is right. even, like even before the pandemic mm-hmm. so we get some people who are just starting out now and also you know we're connecting with people who have moved and it's it's just you know it, it's just interesting now like in our, when we do these classes because you know people talk before and after classes and a lot of people are just feeling you know suffering from isolation so even though you know we can't be in a studio you know, just doing these virtual classes has been even beyond the yoga class itself has been really therapeutic for a lot of people. So it's, it's, it's some ways, you know, that there's, it's, there's been a lot of strengthening of the community in that regard. Mm-hmm. So anything else, Dee? I'm just thinking when I'm listening to, to both of you talk, we've had to, you know, you either you survive or you don't survive. And those people that mm-hmm. have been innovative and kind of changed with the change there to a new mm-hmm. normal, Mm-hmm. Other ones that have survived, you know, it's kind of like I teach my children, you can have a five-minute pity party, and then we have to keep it moving. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> a five-minute pity I mean, party. It, it, it's good to get that out, though. I, I, that's so yeah. great. I love that. Yeah, yeah. let them get yeah. it out. So you give them yeah, five get, minutes. Get it out. Okay. I'll, I'll I was thinking you to have ten, but now five. Okay, <laughs> we'll bring it down to five. <laughs> because they'll tend to wallow in it, you know, and I'm like, uh-huh. you know, we, we, you gotta, you gotta keep it, keep it moving. So, yeah, and it, you know, with, with both of you, you've had to figure it out. And, uh, because, you know, we're in a situation now that we've never been in. So it's amazing, um, what you've done. And, you know, I guess this, it's kind of like television kind of things. I mean, Jane Fonda made millions out of tapes and stuff like that, you know, without, um, in person, kind of yeah. uh, exercise yeah. program. Yeah, absolutely. Right. For sure. And lastly, yeah. I, I do want to also mention in this interview, which I really, I don't know who you did it with, but I just found it really interesting. You mentioned a person that you thought represented to you the ultimate resilience. And tell the audience who that was if, if people haven't seen that movie. It made me think, i got to go find that movie and see it. I'm broken. Yes, Lou, yes. Oh, Lou yes, Zamperini. Yes. Lou, Lou yes, Unbroken. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like of all the books I've, I've written, that was one or read. Excuse me, one of the most amazing stories of resilience, and it's about where I mean, his resilience starts right in the beginning, where you know he 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 just you know deals with you know just you know being an immigrant and all that, and then it goes and goes, and every every place he goes, he's dealing with adversity for his life and that well, I don't want to give away the ending but like the ending where he was able to forgive all the people that hurt him to me that was like the ultimate so not only was he you know Louis Zapparini was was you know hurt by so many people you know physically his spirit and everything but even you know towards the end of his life he was able to look back and all these people who tortured him he was able to forgive them I find that like the ultimate story and resilience well you've made me go and I gotta go dig that 
be out. So thank you. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and I know it gave a little end, but that really doesn't have much to do with the whole thing because the whole story is like how he survived, like mm-hmm. the sharks in the ocean, and then he, mm-hmm. he goes from different camp to camp, and it's just. It's unbelievable. There's there's a movie, but the movie doesn't do it justice as a story and oh, wow. how well oh, um, wow. Laura Hillebrand tells a story to every detail. When, when I read oh, it, wow. I, I could only read like a chapter at a time because so I had to put it down because I was like, this guy's not going to make it. Even though I knew he was going to make it because, you know, he right. not too long ago. But I would just have to like close it because it's just so descriptive and wow. and you really, the, the pages just jump out of you. You just, you just you feel everything, all the pain he's going through. And well, somehow, I'll have to get the book. I don't know how he does have it. have to get the yeah. book. Yeah, Yeah, thank you. Yes, yes, yes. And so for your book, The Point After, tell us and tell the folks, you know, when we read it, what what do you want us to get out of this book? Give us a summary because I started listening. You know, I love to listen to books, you know. So I I started listening and I was like, just the the first part of um, thinking about, you know, all of the uh, things that they had to do the trainers had to do to get you guys ready just to even go play football is a trip <laughs> you know yeah so uh-huh. so what do you want us to do when we read the book completely how do you want us to feel and to get out of this book yeah yeah you know, my hope is like everybody relates into it like in, in a way that you know seems to like resonate with them but i think it's just about you know knowing that our, our, our lives are, you know, it's, it's okay to be uncertain with what's going to come next. And, you know, I, I thought things were going to go like point A to point B to point C, but, you know, it, 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 the, the book is filled with constant, you know, like setbacks. That, and I tried to be like, as, you know, retell it as best as I could about like how I felt and how I felt at that point, like, you know, my life is pretty much like crap now because it's not going the way. But, and I think it's just for all of us, I, I think we can all relate to stories like that where we think it's supposed to go a certain way and it doesn't. But hey, that's okay. But we have to, like you said, like the pity party. We can only do that for a very, very short period of time, and then we have to keep mm-hmm. keep moving forward. Otherwise, we're going to miss the opportunities that were out there. And that was, you know, a challenge I had for me. Sometimes I spent too much time thinking, you know, I'm I'm stuck and things aren't going my way. But the as I as I you know evolved, so to speak, I was able to like realize that hey, you got to move forward because there's opportunities. And if you wait too long, and if you're still walling and, and pity you're going to miss the other opportunities that are out there that may even be more enriching than than what you'd first first thought first imagined we know we can go to amazon for your book and how can they get in touch with you to to participate with the amazing yoga as well yeah absolutely thank you yeah my, my website is seanconley.net s-e-a-n-c-o-n-l-e-y.net and then on there yeah there's there's links for the book but also if you want to learn how to do yoga there's all kinds of links to yoga meditation some, um, some posts about like introduction to yoga meditation if you're brand new there's some information on that if, if you're interested in just just kind of you know put a toe in the water for now all right and so thank you so much for hey. coming thank you yes it's been wonderful thank you absolutely thank you so much it was joy speaking with both of you i had a lot of fun thank you yes thank you now, this ends our show, Dee. So do you have some tips that we should think about? Well, I, you know, I thought it was great. I liked his discussion about resilience and listening to him talk about his fear of failure, which as we, as we know on this show, we talk about a lot. You know, he shared with us his five steps uh, that someone can take to become more resilient. His comment about resilience is like a muscle that can be strengthened. So 
it was great. Yes, it was great. And I think, you know, take-home message for us is that you can bounce back. You can be stronger. You can take your failures and turn them around and be even stronger with each failure that you have. Uh, He's sure he talked about that as well. So I thought these were good lessons and lessons for for young people. You know, I'm hoping that a lot of young people listen to this show because you have that a lot in in sports. That's a big in the sports situation where kids are afraid to fail. Really fun talking to him, too. Yeah, it was fun talking to him. And, yes, the resilience, that's the key, to be able to to be innovative and to, to bounce back and realize, you know, he, he realized that he can still have a good life without, you know, playing football, you know? The world did not end. The world did not end. That's exactly it. It did not end after football. So kudos to him. And it's great that he has, you know, a a yoga. He's doing yoga. He and his wife, they have a yoga business and they are online like all of us are trying to be online. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yes, exactly. So make sure that you go Check him out, SeanConley.com. SeanConley.com is um, S-E-A-N-C-O-N-L-E-Y.com. You will find all about him. You will find out all about him and his amazing yoga, his business, and also his book, The Point After, How One Resilient Kicker Learned There Was More to Life Than the NFL. And as always, for more information, go to our website, vickidofitness.com. And remember, if you have any questions, comments, or just something to say, tweet us, email us, go on Facebook, and share with us your thoughts. You've been listening to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki Hayward-Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks-Bright. Vicki Doe is owner of Vicki Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum, a place to discuss, learn, and participate in healthy living. You can get in touch with Vicki by email at info at vickidofitness.com.